You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome back to Humanize Me. I'm Bart Campolo and to tell you the truth, I'm not really sure how to introduce myself these days. I mean, I used to say I was the humanist chaplain at the University of Southern California. But like, I'm back in Cincinnati. That's right. You know, a few weeks ago, my wife and I loaded everything up, got in the car and drove from LA back to Cincinnati. And I got to tell you, I'm feeling pretty much at home here. My wife even more so. We feel totally at home here, even though, to be honest with you, we still haven't even figured out where we're going to live. We're staying with friends, looking for a house. Actually, we're not just looking for a house. To be honest with you, we're kind of looking for a neighborhood, um, you know, that's affordable enough because what we're thinking is, is that once we get set up there, we want to be able to invite other folks who are looking for community to come live near us. And so that we can kind of learn how to love each other and our more vulnerable neighbors in practical ways. So, we, you know, we want to live in a neighborhood that's cheap enough that people can afford to live there and that's got some need around so that we can kind of work stuff out. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you know, because I'm convinced that, that there are all these people out there that are hungry for that kind of community, that want to be part of a community that sort of is about making things better for other people and flourishing that way. And so, uh, so yeah, so I'm looking for a neighborhood that, where it makes sense, where that, where that stuff's possible. Um, but, you know, I'm also, in the meantime, I'm trying to become the humanist chaplain at the University of Cincinnati, you know, because I, I just love working with college students. But it's kind of hard because UC's, it's like a public university, which means there's no office of religious life or dean of religious life, which means like there's nobody to appoint me. There's nobody to like, you know, touch me on the head with a sword and call me Sir Bartolot and say, you are the humanist chaplain at UC. So, you know, I'm trying to locate the secular group on campus of students if there is one, you know, because like, I mean, eventually I'll just start wandering around the campus talking to students and inviting them over to dinner and we'll get something going. But uh, I, I, I'm not sure, like, do I appoint myself? Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe I officially, okay, I am the humanist chaplain at the University of Cincinnati. Like, if, do I, it, does saying that just make it so? I don't know. I feel like I need to have at least like three college students that know my name over there before I can say I'm anybody's chaplain. But, uh, but it's great. And, you know, and in the midst of all this new stuff, new, new city, you know, I mean, a big part of it, it's, it's a new city, but like, this is home for us. We have all these friends here, the, the support, the connections that we have, the ease of getting around. I mean, that's why I think we can get this kind of community off the ground. Cause it's not like we're starting from scratch. And I've already met with some humanized me listeners who live in this area who are like, yeah, let's talk about this. Maybe we want to get involved. So, I mean, I, I really believe it's going to happen and happen fairly quickly, but in the midst of all this new stuff, as I'm getting set up and everything, um, I finally did it. I finally did what lots of you have been telling me to do, asking me to do, screaming at me for not doing. And that is, I set up a Patreon page. Now, if you don't know what that is, Patreon is, is, a, is a, a website that, that artists and content creators, whatever it is you want to call yourself, it's, 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 a, it's a site that they use to, to raise money to fund their creation. So podcasters use it, um, artists use it, filmmakers use it. And it's a way that people who believe in the work that you're doing can support it on a monthly basis. And so like, you know, we set up a page, you know, and, 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 and it's really kind of, it's the easiest way to support, you know, the work I'm going to do with college students and to help me provide the pro bono or sort of sliding scale counseling and coaching I give when people need that kind of support, but they can't afford it. Um, but most of all, it's the best way to support this podcast and to not only enable me to keep producing it, but to make it bigger and better with like a cooler website and more online resources and 
all the kind of stuff that we're trying to do as we as we pump out these messages of kind of secular goodness and hope and try to you know inspire people and equip people to find each other and and, and form community and, and kind of thrive where you know to bloom where they're planted as it were as as secular humanists and so you know, I, I mean, we got to update the website and we'll fix up a lot of stuff, but already on the website, bartcampolo.org, there's a link to the Patreon page. Or you can just go to patreon.com and, and, and put my name in and it'll come up. And it's honestly, it's a pretty cool page. Like I, I put a video on there where I make the pitch and there's like a little place where if you give a certain amount a month, you get this reward or that reward. And some of the rewards, I don't know, I think they're pretty clever. I think they're pretty fun. Um, but really, I mean, like, I, you know who you are if you've been asking, like, I want to support this. I want to make sure it keeps happening. I want you to make more podcasts uh, and on a more regular basis. This is the way to make that happen. So it's, it's a cool page. You ought to check it out. And uh, you know what else is cool? The conversation that you're just about to hear between me and Jennifer Howd, my friend Jennifer, um, my new friend, which, and the reason I think you're going to like this conversation is because... It totally changed my mind about giving mindfulness another chance. I mean, literally, when we started the conversation, I was like, I'll talk to her because I like her. And she's, and she's smart and funny. And she wrote the book that I found really interesting um, called Sit, Walk, Don't Talk, which was also all about her finding comfort at a silent meditation retreat that should have been, that, that, that when you read about it, you go like, there's no way this should have worked, but it did. Um, and so, I, like, I, want, I, I was excited to talk to her, but, like, you know, I'm not into this stuff. Like, I wasn't into praying as a Christian, and I'm not into this mindfulness stuff. And this conversation totally turned me around in a weird way. Um, and so I'm actually about to embark on another, another try on this stuff. And so, anyway, I think you'll dig this conversation. Well, I, mean, what, I mean, I liked her book which was, is, is like this incredibly accessible account of this silent retreat she took around her 40th birthday. But more than that, what got to me in this conversation was the stuff she had to say about how meditating can change relationships. And for somebody who's really into being intentional about relationships, the idea that there's this tool that can make you more compassionate, that can make you more connectable or make you better able to connect with other people. I don't know. It's cool. So listen, I'm not going to build it up anymore. I'm just going to like, here's me and Jennifer Howd. Let's go. Very seldom do I talk to somebody on this podcast where, I, where they, they wrote a book and they send me the book and I read the whole book. In one sitting. And so I actually like it's a it's a podcast conversation that's like founded on a book. Like but but you you wrote this book how long ago? Oh, uh, let's see. I wrote it I think it was two thousand thirteen. Yeah. So how many conversations have you had to have about it? <laughs> so many. I've had a few. I've had a few. You know, they're all different, of course. Were any, like, were any of them with people that were themselves guilty skeptics of mindfulness and meditation? No, this will be a first. There you go. There you go. <laughs> because like, it, like, I, I, I don't know if I told you this, but like when I was a Christian, which was for many years, I desperately tried to follow Jesus and, and, you know, I was able to manufacture quite a bit of transcendental enthusiasm and sort of spiritual experiences, but I always sucked at praying. Like that was the thing that they wanted you to do was like to pray or to sit quietly and sort of wait on the Lord and I was always like, let's go feed some orphans or let's go talk to some people or let's go build something. But like, I never wanted to pray. Mm. And when I gave up faith, I thought, this is so great. I never have to feel guilty about praying again and, uh, and about not wanting to sit quietly and do that stuff. And then all these mindfulness people came along 
and and they were all secular and they were all like, oh, this is like, this is the way to be a good person and this will make you more aware and it will help you fulfill all the values that you're espousing. And I was like, damn it, I have to feel guilty again because I can't stand any of it. <laughs> I love that. Okay, keep going. But, but, but like, like, so your book... It start like it's it's a beautiful thing because it's like literally the play by play action of this one retreat you go on, but you were into mindfulness like it had already saved your ass before you got to going on that retreat. Well, it had it, it had shown me that there was something to sticking to it for sure. I wouldn't say that I had gone through like a huge, huge, huge metamorphosis at that point, but it had, the, the wheels had started for sure. And it was clear to me that this was something that was helping me. So I was like, yeah, sign me up. I'm on board. Okay. So, but, but you would like, so gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this very well for somebody who knows the story, but like you were like Johnny Hollywood film producer, super type a busy person like who at some point even went through some substance abuse nonsense yeah right yeah, absolutely uh-huh. is this all pre mindfulness like you worked all that shit out before you ever got to mindfulness <laughs> no mindfulness helped me work all that shit out Mindfulness was the thing that said to me, oh, I shouldn't be producing in the way that I was producing before. Like, I, I need to change my career. I need to refocus my, the amount of time um, that I'm spending doing this kind of work uh, and reevaluate whether or not I want to do it, period. And then um, it also got me to the point where I realized, oh, hey, I'm utilizing substances as a crutch not to feel and to avoid life. Hmm. Okay, so okay. first of all, I'm going to I'm going to that I'm going to back you up. Um, but also I'm going to say like that microphone and your zipper don't like each other. Oh. And okay. so I'm just there's there are these moments when they're interacting in a way that is sad. <laughs> okay. Um, Sorry. So so you grew up where? I grew up in um a small town in New Hampshire called Hollis. Hollis, New Hampshire. And did you mm-hmm. grow up with like hippy dippy New Hampshire parents who were like eat patchouli and all that, or were you like, Oh God, no, no, no. My dad, <laughs> my dad's a card carrying member of the NRA. He has a bumper sticker on his car that he made for every single car he's ever owned that I remember that says socialism is slavery. Um, so he's a conservative. <laughs> And my mom passed away in 2001, but she was, um, she was not, not a hippie in any way, shape or form either. I mean, she gardened, (laughs) but like, you know, and I guess she wore Birkenstocks, but that's a New Hampshire thing. Um, but she was pretty conservative as well. Yeah. And so you grew up in conservative family in New Hampshire and went to high school and it was great. Sure. Did you like it? No, I mean, (laughs) did you like it? Um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Looking back on it, um, I think I was pretty miserable. Yeah. But uh, from the outside, everything was uh, was picture perfect. Sure. Were you, were, as you became aware of yourself, were you like, I'm a closeted gay woman in New Hampshire? <laughs> um, I didn't become aware of my sexuality until college really but i but i was really clear um that i didn't fit in where i was i knew that i just did not fit in for so many different reasons um i just didn't buy into everything that was around me um and it just seemed like i was from another planet so was going to college like a release for you did you like escape to college well, I did escape to college. I went to New York City, so from small town New Hampshire to the you know biggest city there is, right? Um, and that, to be honest with you, uh, it, it certainly was a escape in a way, um, and one would think that uh, there would be a lot of joy in that, but 
I didn't realize how sensitive I was. And so instead of going to college where most people kind of explode outward and they really find themselves, I kind of just turned into a turtle and kind of, um, imploded inward, I think. Um, and so I, I just, it, it wasn't as pleasant of a time as I wish it could have been. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Just cause you don't fit into New Hampshire doesn't mean that you do fit into New York city. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, 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 but there you did at, at least figure out like one, one part of the puzzle. Like you're like, like sort of relationally, you figured out like how to, did you, did you make good friends there? Uh, no, no, not really. I have one, one or two friends from New York city, uh, when I was in college after, after college, um, I lived there for 16 years. So, Oh, you stayed, um, you stayed. Yeah. I ended up staying. What did you study? I went to film school. I went to NYU film school. So you, you, okay. So you knew that much that you, you, you went there and then, and then even though you were sensitive and a turtle, you, <laughs> you stayed at NYU and, and allowed New York or you stayed in New York and allowed New York city to continue to pelt down upon your shell. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I, I just, I numbed out to it. I, I dissociated from it. I, I wasn't present to all of the stimulation that was just like building over time. And I got to a point, um, in my mid thirties, late, later thirties where I was like, I feel sensorial, sensorially claustrophobic. Um, if that makes any sense. I just felt like, again, kind of that turtle image of just like going in and deeper, 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 deeper in and just wanting to protect myself from everything, the smells, the sights, the sounds, just all of it was too much. But it's it so overwhelming. But it didn't instinctively occur to you, get out. No, I, I didn't. I didn't. My career was like the most important thing to me. You know, as you mentioned, I was like super type A, very driven. And I just didn't, I had been to Los Angeles uh, a couple of times and I really had a negative reaction the first couple times that I had gone. Also, my dad had, you know, used to tell me in all seriousness, if you tilted the United States, all the loose people would fall into California. And he would just tell me about all the horrible earthquakes and just like all the terrible, terrible, horrible things that happened out in Los Angeles. And so on some level, you know, obviously that's, that was, was, uh, playing in the background for me. But then also my experience of it was when I came out here, it's, I did a program. <laughs> it's so in, funny to talk to like, you're so, like, it's so funny to talk to you because like, you're such a film person in the sense of you're like, I don't know about Los Angeles. I mean, it was either New York or like, there are other choices there. <laughs> the, New York and Los Angeles are not the only two choices of places in the world. But look, at the time I was working in specifically motion graphics production. Um, and I was doing, I was working on really high end network campaigns and branding campaigns yeah, and like Super Bowl graphics and stuff like that. That doesn't happen in, you know, right. Minneapolis or whatever. Like it's New York or it's LA. That's that was pretty much it. If you if I wanted to stay in the states, which at that time that was pretty much what I wanted to do. Um so yeah, so I was like, okay, I either <laughs> I'm in New York or I'm in LA. And LA didn't seem any more forgiving or and and sounds like New York was like it's the devil you know. Yeah. LA to me, it, it was just, it felt very surface. It felt very kind of that stereotypical, you know, everything is materialistic and the people are all about what, how you look and all of that. That's, that's what jumped out at me when I came and visited very briefly. I was very judgmental about it. And so I avoided coming out here until I got to that point where I said, I just felt so sensorially overloaded, um, and claustrophobic that I was like, I need, I need to go somewhere else. And at that point I was in a, a very toxic and at times abusive relationship. And I think on some level I knew that, um, if we moved to LA that we would finally break up and I'd be able to get out of the relationship. And yeah. so that's, that's exactly what happened actually. I mean, it's funny, like not to jump around, but like one of the great things about your book is because is that in the book, I become deeply acquainted with how judgmental you are. Yeah. Which, which you would think like would make me not like you. But then I also become deeply acquainted with how self judgmental you are. 
Like it's it just, it's amazing. The thought, like you do a, I love the, the way, I don't know who your editor was or who figured out how to like illustrate, you know, in the, how to typeset it. So you could sort of hear all these different voices moving. That was actually my idea. That's pretty good. Because I, I definitely, you, you, there were there were multiple voices, and you knew which they were all you, but you knew which voice was talking, um, and at yeah. what level, and that was really helpful. But but okay, so like, when does this story start to get happy? Because I've got <laughs> I, I've got you sixteen years in New York, like just being abused by your surroundings. And, and myself yeah. and, and yourself and then and other people <laughs> right and then and then and then getting into a really toxic relationship yeah and you and so finally like who's i like did you figure out all by yourself like if i take this to la maybe i can blow it up not on a conscious level but i remember like looking back on it when we were packing to move i i had all of my stuff in separate boxes and i labeled my name on them <laughs> as opposed to because we had lived you know we were living together um so i think on some level i knew like yeah i'm going to be able to kind of get out of this yeah. but again it wasn't conscious it was not uh, i was not aware of it at the and, time. It, and it was not quick or easy was it no no it wasn't it wasn't and so so you, so at some point, I mean, cause this, this comes up in the book, like at the, I feel like the book at one point, almost like it feels like somewhere in there, you did connect with something that helped you to think more clearly. And I guess what I'm wondering is like, where and how did self-awareness, mind, whatever you want to call it, where, where did you get a, a tool? Right. Where did that tool come from? So, um, the way that the relationship ended in LA, um, my partner had attacked me and, um, was arrested. And I was, I was, I mentioned this in the book and you know, I was standing on the front lawn of our Hollywood bungalow and was having this like lifetime movie of the week moment where everything was kind of moving in slow motion and I'm watching her get hauled away and the lights are going and the cops are there. And I'm just like, how did I get here? Like, how did this happen to me? And after she left and I was with myself, I just, I think for the first time really allowed myself to see what the reality of the situation was and how completely and utterly depressed I was and, um, filled with anxiety. And I realized that I needed to change my life drastically. I needed to start paying attention to my life because all the things that I had turned away from and numbed out to led me to that moment. And if I wanted to live you know, I probably needed to start paying attention to the moments moving forward. And so, uh, I remember, and, and this, this may not land so great with you, but I had this, and I'm not a religious person at all, but I had this moment where I was like, I, I, it's like my some some inner voice said like, you need to find faith. And it wasn't about faith in God, but it, I think it was about faith in life. And I just didn't have any faith in humanity, faith in whatever the word faith came up. And, and, you know, even when I hear the word faith, it makes me cringe right now. But at that time I remember thinking, yeah, I have to find some sort of reason to want to continue. Um, if I want to continue and I did, there was a part of me that did want to continue. And so yeah, faith, at that point, faith is a funny word, isn't it? Like, yeah, it is. cause it can mean a lot of different things. And you know, like if you go like, Deep down, like I needed, like what would you say, like a reason to move forward, or like yeah, yeah. and you go like, okay, yeah, it, I mean, like we need that, and you know, if, if if like a voice, you know, and and you sort of go like, you know, again, like in your book, there are a lot of voices in your head, um, yeah. and they don't have to be supernatural necessarily, um, right. but you sort of go like somewhere in you, like some part of you was saying. Save the rest of us. Yeah, get help. Yeah, get some help. Get some and help. Get serious about it. 
Yeah. Cause I had, you know, uh, in New York, I had poked in and out of meditation and poked in and out of therapy, but I was never committed or dedicated to it. And on the, you know, the meditation side of things, I had always been interested in Eastern philosophy. Um, and I was very much drawn to reading about that kind of stuff growing up and in college. And so when I was in New York and had the opportunity, I poked in and out of some of the Buddhist meditation societies. But, but um, none of them, I didn't like the context. The context uh, was, didn't feel like a good fit for me. It felt, quote unquote, religious, right? And, and for me, that wasn't the right fit. And so even though what... I was hearing being talked about felt like truth with a capital T, the context in which it was being delivered to me, I did not feel comfortable in. So I would bop out of it and in and out and in and out. But I also got a little bit of a glimpse and a glimmer of, oh, there's something to this practice of meditation. I can tell there's something here for me. So when I, you know, kind of flashing forward to, um, after the breakup and having that realization of, okay, I really need to get serious about my life and, and being present to it. Um, the, the meditation stuff kind of came back to me of like, okay, this is probably the time to go find a way to start doing this practice in a regular dedicated way. So I went in and poked in and out of a bunch of different meditation societies in LA, none of which particularly spoke to me. <laughs> um, except for this place, uh, called against the stream and specifically their Melrose location against the stream is a little bit, uh, it's not your mama's <laughs> Buddhist meditation society, right? It's, uh, founded by a man named Noah Levine, who's just tatted from, you know, tattooed from head to toe. Um, and is, you know, is a punk basically. Right. And so their society is filled with lots of rocker tattooed punk people. And I was like, okay, this is very different environment. And I think I can, I can, you know, I have a couple tattoos. I can uh, relate, <laughs> <laughs> relate on a certain level. Right. Um, and so I started going to like a weekly class there. They also had, um, at the time they were working with, uh, what has now turned into their, um, what do they call it? Refuge recovery program, which was basically taking kind of 12 step recovery through more of a Buddhist lens. Um, and I knew again, as I had identified, I was having some substance abuse issues. I poked into that too, because I also had problems with 12 step programs. They weren't the best fit for me either. Again, for the God. Yeah. There, I mean, they're essentially, I mean, it's funny. I'm, I'm working with somebody, a lawyer out at the freedom from religion foundation, Who's, you know, like, cause courts mandate people to go to AA and, yeah. and, and it's like, it's pure supernatural stuff and it's not always that effective either. And, and I mean, it's really wonderful for some people. Like I, it's not, I feel the same way about AA as I feel about many religious things. Like if it's working for you, I'm going to leave you alone, but it's a weird thing to, to jam down somebody's throat. And I guess for you, you just instinctively knew that's not where I'm going to get my help. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, eventually I would say like within a month or so, even at against the stream, it was started, I was starting to get that kind of like, Ooh, this is still a little bit too, too religious feeling for me. So, although I will say they helped me start a practice, like I would go to their weekly meeting and then I would go home and I would sit for three minutes. Like that was eternity for me at the time, but I was able to sit for like three minutes every day and I started a regular practice. And then no, about no, wait. when you say I sat for three minutes, is this, this kind yeah. of thing where like, be aware of your breathing, like, don't like let thoughts come and go. Don't, don't like, is, is it that kind of three minutes? And I don't mean that. Um, in a, I'm not. I'm not being snarky. I mean, I, I like because in the book, I got this very strong impression that in the beginning, it's like a lot of it's just breathing and being aware of your breathing. Yeah, that that is one of the anchor points that one can use. It, you know, specifically, I should say the style of meditation is called vipassana or insight 
meditation. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's the translation of it is insight. It's, it also means clear seeing. And uh, there's, so there are a lot of different types of Buddhist meditation out there and meditation period. But, but specifically what I was drawn to was insight or Vipassana meditation. And in that style, yes, the breath is an anchor point. There are other things that can be anchor points as well. Personally, I had a hard time focusing on the breath because I had, I wasn't very embodied and I'm, and I still to some degree have a hard time feeling the breath in my body. So I would use sensation, neutral sensations in my hands or feet or sometimes sound. So those are, those are other options that one can use. Um, but yes, I would, you know, focus the sensation on the sensations in my hands and then notice when a thought arises, acknowledge the thought, let it go, come back to the sensation of the hands. That was the practice. And you could do that for three minutes. I could do it barely for three minutes <laughs> <laughs> at that time. It was like kind of torturous, I will say. But, um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I was able to get the practice off the ground. And then um, I was leaving the Against the Stream Meditation Society one day, and I saw a little card for uh, UCLA's Mindful Awareness Research Center, and it said secular mindfulness and classes. And I was like, what does secular mean? I didn't even know what secular meant. I, but, but I knew that, you know, I'm a bit of a studious person and I'm kind of a nerd and, um, anything happening at a university kind of makes me excited. And so I was like, well, maybe I should check that out. Yeah. Um, I feel safe in a university environment. Let me see what's that out what that's all about. And, um, and I went and the proverbial kind of like, and funny in this context, like, Oh, you know, bells went off and I was like, yes, this is exactly what I've been waiting for. It, 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 it strips out, removes all of this, the kind of, um, ceremony and the more religious kind of elements of the practice and replaces it with science, which, you know, the church of <laughs> science, we could, we could talk about that, you know, as being a religion unto its own, but it's one that I felt a little bit safer in the context of. And so, yeah, I, I jumped into the class, loved it and felt safe and, um, just took to it like a fish okay. to water. Okay. Now let me ask you a question. Cause like you just used the word religion and sort of like, you know, science could be religion too. And like, the thing you gotta understand is like, I'm religious by nature. Like there's yeah. a reason I was an evangelical Christian for 30 years. And that is like, and I don't mean like supernaturalist, Although I'm probably that by nature too. We all are evolutionarily speaking, you know, we're prone to find explanations where they are and where they're not. Um, but, but by religious, I mean like I'm one of those people that I, I, I need to orient my little life to a big narrative. Like it helps me if I know like this thing I'm doing is connected to, there's a reason for it or like, you know, the, the narrative of sort of evolution or history or whatever's going on. And it sounds like, and, and so for me, like science is kind of science provides me with the big cosmological narrative. And then I go like, Oh, if that's true, then I should be nice to you because like I'm wired up in such a, you know, if I understand that narrative in such a way, I go like, Oh, and so I'm evolved to thrive by caring for others. And you know, like, but like, I know I want to care for you anyway, but I, I'm much more comfortable. I go, ah, when there's a narrative that makes sense of that stuff for me. Sure. And so, and so it sounds like when you walked into UCLA, there, there was a larger framing around these, pra like the practices, obviously for your whole life, they had sort of, you know, called to you or said like, there might be something here for you, but yeah. like UCLA put them in a framing that you went like, oh, okay. Yes. The context was, was, was what I needed in yeah. order to fully let go and just kind of, um, allow myself to, uh, to go deeper into the practice. Absolutely. So how long ago was that? That was like 2011, like really early on, maybe end of 2010, early 2011. Okay. Yeah. That's still not that long ago. No, no. it's not. Mm -hmm. And so you're still a Hollywood film person at that point, right? <laughs> um, 
Well, no, because well, a lot of a lot, you know, people. Like, it's funny. Like I'm, I'm out here in Cincinnati right now, and you know, I, like I got friends all over the place. And like when we hear somebody's a Hollywood film person, that that <laughs> that impresses us. Uh, well, I I was in the uh, I was still in the business, as they say. I wasn't, you know, making major feature films or anything like that. I'd work on I had worked on a documentary that went to Sundance, but I was mostly doing kind of television stuff, um, broadcast, TV design packages, and stuff like that. But you yes, did, you did graphics that. of the kind that are on the Super Bowl, so yes. I'm not yes. messing with that. Okay, no, we um, don't mess with that. So so <laughs> so you're still doing that. You find this UCLA thing. And yep. how, and, and, and so then you go deeper. Yep. I do. And, and, I and, go deeper. and, and because by the time you get to this book, um, and this retreat experience, y- your two things are true as, as, as I picked up the book. One thing is, is, you know, a thing or two about meditation. Like, a little bit, yeah. Because like some of the people on this retreat, the leaders are like rock stars in that world. And you like, you recognize them as like, Ooh, Yes. She's a great teacher. Um, and the other thing is you have a new girlfriend by the time you go or a new partner. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who like it's your 40th birthday coming up and your partner's like, what do you want to do? And you're a little overwhelmed, which makes sense when I think about your turtle self. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so you go like this thing, this thing eventually comes. She's like, I think this is my best move is to go on this five day silent retreat. Yeah. This was a, uh, a nine day that I wrote the book about, but I had gone on a five day as my first retreat prior to, uh, the one that I wrote the book about. Yeah. Okay. So and I was with my partner at the time. And, and so when you get to this nine day one that you wrote the book about, that's the 40, yeah. but that's the 40th birthday. Cause I remember the 40th birthday happening yes. in the middle of it or towards the end of it. Yes. Um, yep. and so, so, but yet the book is like, it's like one of those survival stories. Like you're sick, you you get your period as you, as you show up. Um, the lady next to you coughs a bunch or, or like she moves a lot. You're coughing. She's moving. You're, yeah. you're irritated by her, but you, it doesn't, you don't figure out until a while later that maybe she might be irritated by you as well. Um, yeah. I mean, there's just all this self, like, it's this kind of like, what's it like to be in your head for nine days? I'm like, yeah. And, and so here's my question. Cause you know, nobody who's listened to this podcast will have read the book except me. I mean, they may read it afterwards. I hope they do, <laughs> but like they won't have read it probably beforehand. Right. Um, and so you write this book where you basically sort of give me the privilege of being in your head for nine days or at least part of nine days um, parts, you know, every day I get some of what's happening there. What's it been like to talk to people who have read the book who like, in a sense you, you allowed them to sneak into your head for nine days. Like, does that feel really intimate to you? Um, you know, it was a very deliberate choice to, to write the book the way that I did and to allow that those different voices to be heard because one of the things that I realized pretty early on in my journey with meditation and mindfulness is that a lot of us go through the same things (laughs) and, um, in fact, think the same things. And our society is set up in a way where it's not very easy to talk about them or to admit, admit them out loud. Um, and so I wanted to help normalize what, uh, what might be going on in, in the reader's mind. And so that they could identify to a degree with my journey on some level. And so, uh, thankfully the, the device seemed to work, uh, because I have heard from quite a few people about how thankful they are that, it's written the way that it is because they can actually find it very accessible and relatable and understand, um, you know, what I'm going through and to say to themselves, Oh, okay. 
<laughs> I'm not such a bad person or whatever because I have these judgmental thoughts. Um, yeah, it's been it's I, I don't I don't feel exposed or what have you. I, I, I honestly see it as a service to um, to open up in this in this way to allow people to kind of glimpse inside <laughs> what's going on with me. Yeah, because I think. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just saying, even if you don't give a rat's tail about mindfulness, um, it's still it's still a wonderful test. Like to me, it's just a, a like an experience of vulnerability. Like there, here's this woman who's going like, "I'll let you know what I'm thinking for nine days," and you know, my experience with vulnerability is is that when when you're vulnerable with other people. They, rather than looking down on you or, or they like, wow, that's so courageous, but it also gives them the freedom to then say, well, me too. And, exactly. and so, you know, I, I think a lot of the people that I talk to are trying to figure out how to get closer to other people mm-hmm. and they struggle a lot with how to get closer. I mean, and, 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 and you, you sort of you're so open in, in, in the way that you're relating in this book and, and sort of how you're feeling about like this teacher who you wish you could get closer to, and then they don't give you exactly what the feedback you want. And, but I think like you kind of are answering the question, even as you write the book, like this, like, like I felt closer to you having read it, you know, like I, I like I'm talking to you now in, in a, in a way that I think is much more familiar than even when we had coffee the first time. Mm. And it's partly because I've, I, I do feel all oh, like I, I know those feelings. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it seems to me that it, it's, it's really, and I wonder if you've had that experience where do I, I, like, do you feel like that, like this part of your life, this being able to be, aware of your own thoughts and therefore if you choose to to express your own thoughts has enabled you to get closer to people oh absolutely like yes (laughs) emphatically yes emphatically yes and the ability and the courage because it does take um a lot of courage actually to be vulnerable in this way um but to be able to be transparent about what i'm feeling and to be able to respectfully communicate that and to ask for what I need. Um, uh, it's, it's, you know, 9.999 times out of 10 received with, um, compassion and, and love. You know, this is important to me because I, I, I really do. I mean, like with the college students that I've worked with, you know, at USC and other places, and, and also with the folks that I meet that are coming out of religious transitions. And so a lot mm-hmm. of times they lose their community. They lose sometimes their family in that process. Mm-hmm. But also many of them, like they sort of were grandfathered into those relationships, but they never built community from scratch mm-hmm. and a, a, or, the, or family from scratch. And there are a lot of people that don't know how like just raw skills in terms of like making eye contact or like what's appropriate to say and not to say how to get close to another person. And what's interesting is when, when people will talk about mindfulness, a lot of times I always get the impression that it's about getting in touch with yourself and you know, it's about tr- shutting out the world and stuff like that. But what I sort of hear you saying is, is like, no, no, it's like, it's, it's almost like it's a way of gathering my thoughts so that I can share them in a, in a more authentic way. That's a huge part of it. Absolutely. The other part of it too, is in getting to know myself and my own pain, you know, like when I'm being, am I allowed to swear on this? Thing? Yes, absolutely. Fuck. Yes. <laughs> when I'm being an asshole, right. Prior to my mindfulness practice, I was, I just believed Hey, I'm an asshole. Now I recognize when I'm acting like an asshole, it's because I'm in pain. So now when someone else is acting like an asshole, I can see that they're actually in pain. That's huge. Like if your listeners get nothing else from this, 
if they can just play that over and over again <laughs> um, and really let it sink in and they, you know, you may not, you may not really understand it until you experience it, which again is why I think mindfulness is so valuable because it's you learning through experience. But, but when that's set in for me, Oh my goodness, my relationships with everybody changed. My relationships with the world changed. Yeah. Cause he's not an asshole. He's acting like an asshole because he's in pain. And that does change the way it doesn't make it any more pleasant, No, but it changes the way that you encounter experience that negativity. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, I, 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 I mean, it's very different analogy, but I remember, you know, Sam Harris, who I've read a lot of and, you know, I love him. He taught me so much. He's not usually my most reliable guide towards kindness. Um, like it's not his thing. Like I'm, I'm much more this like warm, like love every, you know, like he, 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 he's not the warmest guy, but, but he wrote this thing about pedophiles where he was just like, I think we need to protect children from pedophiles. But he said the whole idea of being angry at a pedophile makes no sense whatsoever if you understand brain science and if you understand a term like like nobody chooses to be a pedophile and most pedophiles never hurt a kid and so like if like that's just what somebody's got to work with and 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 his thing was like if you really understand that you you might need to protect yourself against somebody but you won't hate them yeah and it sounds like a little bit the same thing that you're saying is like when when you are being a jerk, you can also not hate yourself. And you go like, there's something making me be a jerk right now. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I got to find what that is. Yep. Yep. And for, the, for you know, uh, for a long time, I wasn't able to figure that out. Like I needed outside help. <laughs> you know, like I, I wouldn't know how to, to help myself. So I would go to the, you know, kind, empathetic people that I knew and be like, okay, I I'm stuck in something right now. What, what am I not giving myself that you can see? Can you help me out here? Help me help myself. You kind of yeah. had to outsource your self-knowledge. Yeah. 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 And then I started to incorporate that. And over time I've learned how to, to feed myself in that way. But, um, yeah, it's, it's huge. So, Mindfulness is huge for that. So, so now you teach this stuff, right? I do. I, I facilitate. That's what I call myself, a facilitator. What does that mean? Does that mean like 10 people come and sit in a room with you and you sort of go like, do this, do that, do the other? <laughs> I, 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 I know I sound really cynical, but like it's just, I just don't know. Like I... <laughs> well, it, it depends. I work with people one-on-one and I also work in, in small groups and, um, I have a weekly Saturday sit group in Los Angeles and Atwater village that is part of a secular mindfulness collective called the East side mindfulness collective. And essentially what that looks like is I converted the garage in our home um, into a mindfulness space. And I set up a little circle of, you know, 10, 12 chairs. People come in 10 a.m. We sit uh, and meditate for about 25 minutes. First portion of that I guide. So I give the technique and, and show them and tell them how to do it. And then we sit in silence for the second half of that. And then afterwards, we drink tea and we talk to each other. <laughs> um, we bring up anything that's going on in our own practice, if we're having struggles with it, anything that's going on in life from a mindfulness perspective, how to view it and manage it and to work through it or just to verbalize it so that others can witness it and hold the space for whatever emotions might show up. Basically, um, human support <laughs> is kind of how I see it, does it uh, from does a it, mindfulness perspective. Does it bleed out over into the, like, like, let's say somebody in that group is talking about trouble that their kid has, like, with math, and they're, they're, they're not able to talk to them about it, and the kid's angry and stuff, like, would then the next day you think like I might give that person a call or is just, it, is it like it stays right in that one moment and then you don't like, do people get involved with each other's lives outside of that because they're connected that way? 
that is starting to happen. That's not something that I have um, deliberately facilitated yet, but it is absolutely in the back of my mind, um, churning of how is best to do that. The idea of maybe passing around a, a phone list or something like that for people. They're doing that on their own. Like last week, someone mentioned something and a couple of uh, the other group members came up to them afterwards and they all exchanged phone numbers. And, and I, so I saw that it was happening and I was very happy that that was happening. Um, so yeah, I, as, as a facilitator, as someone who's learning as a facilitator always, right? Like what, what can I do next to help kind of move it along even further outside of every Saturday, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, and then, it, it's weird because like on that level, you're a facilitator and a teacher of a practice or a facilitator mm-hmm. of a practice, but you're also a community builder. Like, yes, here's yes. my garage and there's eight or 10 of us and connections could be formed here and like you kind of have to take that seriously like this is this is a valuable you know because people are especially in los angeles but like everywhere people are not knowing how to connect with each other very well no and really it it takes someone who is skilled as a facilitator to be able to hold the space to really skillfully work with that because i've been in groups before (laughs) um where the the facilitator was not so skilled and things kind of went awry. Um, and I, and I have come to learn that I'm actually pretty decent at facilitating. I'm, I'm getting that feedback quite a lot and I'm seeing actually how important that is in the process of community, community building that skill. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a skill. It's funny. Like in the book at one point you said when you first went on the retreat, they gave you like these five sort of rules or I don't know, you know, but one of them was, um, had to do with sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like don't sexually miss, I, I, no sexual misconduct of some kind. Mm-hmm. And, um, the others were much more esoteric, like, you know, but like I, I related to that because I thought when I started creating both in Christendom, but especially in the secular world, when I, you, when you create a warm, safe space where people are able to talk about over tea, talk about life. A lot of times people let down their guard Mm -hmm. and they think, well, because you're here, you're good Mm -hmm. and you're safe. And so sometimes like what would happen would, would be there would be some people that would come to my group at USC who are kind of like the group gave them the imprimatur of a safe person and then they would date somebody in the group and it would turn out they weren't safe. And mm-hmm. I had to actually sit down the people, all the, all the people in the group and say like, look, just cause somebody's here doesn't mean that we can, you can like, you still have to do due diligence and you know, and as a facilitator you do, you create a space where people feel intimate and you got to almost warn them like, just cause somebody can play this game doesn't necessarily mean that they're safe romantically or sexually or in any other way yes exactly yeah yeah i mean i think that's that you know i'm a big believer in creating these transcendent experiences or these kind of like experiences where people feel like they're connected to each other into something bigger like a rock concert kind of vibe or 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 and yet I'm, i'm also really aware that it's dangerous it can be Absolutely. Boundaries, personal boundaries are another really important, um, element, I think of, of all of this. And one of the things that mindfulness has also kind of shown me, um, how to put energy into creating. Really? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. What, like, is it because like in becoming more aware of like, I'm over here. My thoughts are not me. Like you get a sense of like, there's boundaries within me, but does that, is that somehow help you to also recognize that other people there's like, I, I'm not sure how it works. They, like, can you explain that to me? Maybe is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> say more <Yes>. about that. <laughs> sure. I can say more about it. Um, well, one of the things that happens with a regular mindfulness practice is you get to know yourself, right? Um, you get to know how sensitive you are, I should say. I got to know how sensitive I am, although this is an experience that a lot of people have when they practice. 
and you got you you start to um, recognize, oh, every time I'm with this person, I get a stomach ache, or every time I'm with this person, I feel a little bit like I should step a little bit further away from them, you know, cause they're standing too close to me and, and it's affecting how I feel. So if I move over here, I feel a little bit better. If I'm over here, I don't feel, okay, let me move over to where I feel better. Right. So, um, so physically you, you notice boundaries and then also like in terms of the interpersonal relationships, you start to notice, oh, this person's energy or their way of being is kind of vampirical or what have you. And I never really noticed that before because I wasn't really paying attention on that kind of level. And all of a sudden you can be like, oh, well, maybe I need to just kind of distance myself. Now, how do I do that? I have to utilize mindful communication in order to express it in a way that is heard and, um, well, one hopes is heard, uh, but in a way that could be understood. Uh, and so it just, there are all these kind of very tang tangled weave of, you know, of strings that kind of create the fabric of what mindfulness can be. And all of these things, as you dive deeper and deeper and deeper into the practice, you start to notice like how it's also interconnected and that, you, as you become more sensitive, you become, it's easier to make adjustments on smaller and smaller micro levels so that at some point you get to a place where this flow happens that just with, without that um, level of sensitivity and ability to kind of fine tune all of these tiny little things that flow is not as, uh, flowy. I don't know what the right word is, but or does that hard. make sense? Yeah, it's hard. To, well, I'm, the part about the flow, I'm not like, it would, it would seem to me that it would just be hard. Like I have moments when I feel like I'm in tune and in flow and I'm relating to people in a way that I just feels very natural. And then, and then I don't. And it would seem to me that like what you're saying is, is if you're more sensitive to how other people are affecting you and things and how you work and, and what, what sort of the care and feeding of yourself you're more likely to get into those moments of flow or those, those, yeah. those, and, and there might, maybe they last longer and you don't get knocked out of them so easily. Yes, exactly. Very well put. Now here, yeah. here's what I'm wondering, um, on that, on, on, on that basis is it sounds like what you're saying, what not sounds like knowing yourself can help you navigate like in a sense you're your own boat and and if you know like ah you know what we're a shallow draft boat we do not want to go in that deep water over there or you know like we you know our sails work in such a way that we want to catch this kind of wind like if you know your craft it's easier for you to navigate on the deep blue sea and i you know i'm just thinking about so many people i know i feel like it's like the country song they're looking for love in all the wrong places. And you think like, why do you, why do you go there? Why, why do you try that kind of person? And you think like, they must not have really stopped to ask themselves in what situations am I most comfortable? What people make me want to step towards them and what people want me to step away from them. And where do the kind of people that make me want to step towards them, where do they tend to live or where do they tend to, to hang out or what kind of games do they play? Because I, sometimes I see people and they convincing themselves that they would feel more comfortable around the artsy crowd, but really the, all the, if they were paying attention, all the people they felt most comfortable with in their life were workmen and workwomen, like, you know, were blue collar types. And you go like, if you want to find fellowship, if you want to find secular people that are going to pursue goodness in a way that fits you, you maybe don't want to go to that arts community thing. You might want to go to that Habitat for Humanity build out. Um, and so it sounds like what you're saying is, is that mindfulness is one of the values of it is, is it enables you to sort of map yourself and understand yourself a little bit better so that then you can make better decisions about where to place yourself. Yes, 100%. Yeah, it's a methodology in a way. Okay, well, and once again, I feel like it's, it's sort of like when I was a Christian and people were like, prayer will do this and prayer will do that. And I would go like, okay, but then I still wouldn't pray. <laughs> um, 
and, and sometimes it's because I didn't know where to start. And mm. I think with mindfulness, a lot of people don't know where to start. And so like, let's just say somebody's listening and they go like, wow, you know, this sounds good to me, but I don't know where to start. What would you say? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, start with meditating. Medita- meditation is the foundation for mindfulness. And, um, so I would look into, there are tons of secular meditation apps out there. Um, like, like 10% happier type things. Yeah. Or like headspace, that kind of stuff. Well, give me, um, give me three of them so that I'm not just leaving people hanging. Sure. Uh, 10% happier is one. Um, I think there's one called calm. Uh, I don't know it personally, but I believe it's called calm. Uh, head, headspace is another one. Um, I personally use a t- something called insight timer, and I'm sure that there are secular guided meditations on that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and also if you just Google like guided secular meditation, you should be able to find a bunch of stuff too online. Right. And so just start, start meditating. Um, Wait, and, and so like, the, it, it, when, when you get one of those, is this like some soothing voice is going to it's sort of, it's going to sort of take me through and say like for the next five minutes, here's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I don't mean like, that. I don't mean that negatively. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I, no. I, I just like, I think a lot of my friends would say like, when you say meditate, they would go like, I don't know how to do that. And when you say like, yeah. go to this app, they would go like, what's going to happen. Yeah. No, I hear that. Um, the, yeah. So the like headspace, I know they, it's, a, it's, it's guided. A lot of this stuff is guided. And, and when, when people are starting out with meditating, I think of guided meditations as kind of like training wheels, you know, like a, on a bike. So get the, go ahead and, and utilize guided meditations to get yourself into the habit of sitting regularly and ideally daily. Okay. Um, and then at some point pretty early on in the process, um, sit in silence, just silence. Once you've got the, the basic technique down, uh, take the training wheels off because the real insights and the knowledge about oneself happens when you're in silence in my experience. Okay. I mean, and, so, and, and the reason I wanted to talk to you of all people is because when I met you, like I was like, you just seemed regular <laughs> do, do, do you mean like 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 you like plain yeah. spo- plain spoken to, yeah. to to me and like um and I, and so this is helpful to me like i'm actually contemplating trying again oh wow that's yeah. big well like honestly like people are always telling me like meditation is going to make me a better person and 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 like you know but I, I kind of, I'm already pretty good. Um, <laughs> um, you know, but this idea of I, what you said about knowing yourself, helping you navigate other people better. Mm-hmm. That's very attractive to me because there's only one person in my, like maybe one or two. Okay. Maybe like 20 people in my life that I know how they affect me. Like there's this one friend I have that I talk fast Whenever I'm with him, I speed up and I know it's because I'm nervous and my kids notice it and they say like, wow, you, you're cool with everybody. But like this one person, like you perform for him Mm. and like, I'm aware of that, but like my kids made me aware of that. I didn't notice it even myself. That's how out of touch. And so this idea that being in touch with yourself will enable you to navigate with other people better and maybe even to love them better. Um, you know, again, to recognize the difference between their actions and the feelings that motivate them because you're recognizing the difference between your own actions and, and it just all sounds, it all sounds really compelling to me. And, and so, you know, it's, it's, I don't know whether you convinced anybody else, but, but but you got, you, you got me ready to try again. But what I, what I also hear you saying is is yeah, use some of that stuff to get you going. But like as soon as you can, three minutes of silence would be the best thing you could would not be a bad place to start. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. And don't, don't feel like you have to start with like 20 minutes or whatever. You know, I, I liken it to going to the gym. You know, if you haven't been to the gym before or in a really long time, you wouldn't start by lifting a hundred pound weight. You'd start with a five pound weight. Same thing with, with getting a meditation practice off the ground, set yourself up to win, do what you know that you can manage, you know, stretch yourself a little bit. Um, for me, three minutes was a stretch (laughs) when I I started. Right. Um, but yeah, that's the, and, and I'll, um, do you know when this is going to be on your, when it, when it's airing, so to speak? No, I mean, probably sometime (laughs) in the next month. Uh, Okay. I can, um, I can put on my website, a guided, very simple, like five or 10 minute, um, guided meditation that has, instruction and then some silence on it too that would be good for beginners that would um, be great yeah and i'll put it in the resources section of my website jenniferhoud.com and uh we can guide we can direct people that way yeah too. and i'll put a link to that on 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 this podcast and that'll be great okay hey i yeah. like uh, you know I, I i can't thank you enough for for this i mean this has been really fun for me um, and I, like, I, I sometimes joke, like I do this podcast mainly for myself, um, <laughs> because it, it, it gives me an excuse to talk to people in a way that's really helpful to me. And, um, and so it's, I really appreciate it. It's been really fun talking to you. Oh, it's been great talking to you too. Thank you for being open-minded about, because I know in the beginning you were like, uh, have you ever talked to anybody who's a skeptic about all this and, 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 and where you've landed with this sounds like, you know, you're willing to maybe contemplate giving it a shot and seeing what happens for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, and again, like it's that vulnerability thing, like the best thing about your book to me was that even on this nine day silent retreat where you're all, you know, like ultimately it's pretty big, you know, that's way beyond what anything I would try at this stage in the game. But like there was all this humanity soaking through of, of just regular person stuff and I, I, th- I think I always thought that you're supposed to leave that stuff behind. And, mm. um, so it's, it's real, I, I, you know, I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate this conversation. I also, I like, you know, just between you and me, I really appreciated that book and, um, and I'm excited. I'm excited to, to, for some of my friends who I think are in the same space, I'm excited for them to see it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Um, excited too. All right. <laughs> and if, if you need any help along the way, if you decide that you do want to jump in, um, and you have any questions by all means, reach out. I will. I will do it. All right. Take care. Later. Bye. All right. So that was me and Jennifer Howd. I hope you dug it. You can find out all about those mindfulness apps and her book and the stuff she promised, uh, by going to her website, or you can just go to barcampola.org and the link will be there too and that's where you can find the patreon page if you want to get into the whole how do i support humanize me world and uh, that's also where you can find the contact me button and you can send me a letter or an email as it were and tell me what you think because i'm i love to hear from you i'm excited to be in a situation where i got so many good people pulling together trying to figure out how we can help each other um, pursue goodness in a really positive way. And so thanks for being part of it. Catch you next time. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit bartcampolo.org.